are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your guest host, Jamie Lee Sampson. Evolutionary, woven, electrically charged. Robert McClure's music has been featured at conferences and festivals such as Seamus, ICMC, and the Sonorities Festival of New Music. He was recently a composer fellow at the 2016 Intimacy of Creativity with Bright Shang and the Hong Kong Philharmonic. He is currently an assistant professor of composition and director of the Electronic Music Studios at Suzhou University in Suzhou, China. My first question for you, and this is kind of a broad and general question about all of your music or many of your pieces, is uh, why bugs? (laughs) Why bugs? (laughs) You know what? I really couldn't tell you because I don't really like them. You know, like if I encounter a bug in real life, I want to be elsewhere. But desert miniatures, insects, you know, clearly that's all about bugs. Warning colors kind of takes like kind of takes the step away from from uh, desert miniatures and keeps going. Are there any other pieces about bugs? It's just those um, two, right? I think you you talked about mimicry, though, in um, in homologic as well, though. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you have, you know, your your adjectives, it was very hard for me to separate which one applied to which piece, which is something that it seems like we've tried to do in some of the early podcasts. Um, but as I was listening, I was like, oh, you know, this, this seems to be a trend, and so does, so does woven and electrically charged, and I'm not getting one tied to any individual, so... You know, I took the mimicry from homologic and I thought this is this really seems to be pervasive. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think um, with the with the particular pieces I chose for this, um, it is it's very evident, uh, like all all three um, adjectives fit for all three pieces. But um, in a bigger way, I think that's just part of my part of my thinking that I'm not the kind of person that I will write a piece and then I'll go in a completely different direction. You know, I tend to take what I've learned in one piece and then just take it a few steps further in the next piece. So it's it's a slow transformation uh, from one piece to the next. And, you know, now now where I am, um, the the pieces that I'm writing right now are, you know, a couple steps removed from, from homologic. And, and that's, that's kind of how I've been going for the last, I would say three years or so before, before that, during, you know, during the, the masters and, and that time I was, I was definitely like kind of jumping around from here to there, but now I've, it might, it, it might be just a desire to not have to reinvent every time I start a piece you know, and yeah, absolutely. And I think I also think it's this idea that I don't want to. Um, I want to explore an idea from multiple angles. You know, so and that's a really great um, tie into your first adjective. Actually, the evolutionary each piece is just a little bit. The idea shifts a bit, but isn't revolutionary. Which I had a very hard time separating those two as I was thinking about these three pieces. You know, you have some 
really big ideas, but I had to stick to the word without the R. <laughs> evolutionary. <laughs> yeah, you don't actually, you, you hear evolution a lot, but the word evolutionary isn't really used that, that much. <laughs> so getting back, to, getting back to your point, why bugs? Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think insects are very, very interesting. And when I was living in Arizona, um, there were a lot. And there was a huge diversity of them. So, um, like I talked about in the, um, in the program notes for, um, for desert miniatures insects, um, the grasshoppers, you know, my wife, Kate and I, we would, uh, we would go on these hikes around Tucson where we were living. And, um, this one particular hike was in, uh, Catalina state park and it was called the Romero pools hike. And you basically, you, the first part of the hike is just going up. You know, you're just climbing up a mountain. And then once you get up there, you know, you're uh, you're there for a while and then you walk down and then you're just in these the the most refreshing pool you've ever been in in your life. So totally worth it. Um, but as we were walking in certain seasons, we would just get bombarded with grasshoppers. I mean, you're walking through tall grass and all of a sudden you get hit in the chest with, you know, with four four grasshoppers that are suddenly alerted to you being there (laughs) and jump and they jump right into you. And, you know, we're talking about grasshoppers that at their biggest would be... would be like they would fit inside of a Twinkie. I mean, if that if that's a good like reference point, really, yes, universal reference. Right. So I mean, they're they're fairly large grasshoppers, and um, and that was kind of um when I got the uh, when I got the commission from Trio Sonora. At that point, I was you know looking around for different types of inspiration, um, because I I had already written a solo piano piece called Desert Miniatures for another. A musician that I was friends with at Arizona, um, Catherine Christensen. It's a piece for a solo piano. I kind of wanted to stay in that vein with the Desert Miniature solo piano. It was more about like scenes of the desert. You know, one okay. one of the movement is one of the movements is about the flowers on the top of the saguaro cactuses. They they open only at night because it's way too hot right. during the day. Uh, right. So. Um, and there, there are like time lapse videos of of uh, like the flowers opening, you know, and, and you're looking you're looking up like along the length of the cactus, so you see the flower open, but you also see the stars, you know, going at night. So those oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, so those were the kind of things I was looking at in that and in that piece. And for for this piece, I wanted to be maybe more specific. And it started with that memory of the grasshoppers. So once once I had this idea of the the grasshoppers, then I started researching the other bugs because when we moved to Tucson, um, right outside of our apartment, there was a fire ant hill. And I was gonna say I, I read your program notes, and one of them you didn't you didn't really need to research too much. You just had no. very direct experience yes, with very, the fire ants. Very very direct experience. <laughs> And, um, it's, uh, oh my, those suckers are painful, man. Um, I have not had the pleasure. Yeah. I mean, it's complete (laughs) discomfort. (laughs) It's just like, you know, little stinging bites and it's, it's just horrible. So, um, 
so yeah, doing doing the research for the um for the other insects was um what led me eventually to uh to the orchestra piece. So they're all all these pieces are, you know, kind of connected. And I mean, these three pieces definitely are connected, but all of the pieces in this in this mm-hmm. time period have have a very uh, deep connection with each other. So that's maybe why you 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 had a little bit of trouble, you know, parsing out the the adjectives yeah. because that's really been uh, a big part of my thinking so far. Thank you. 
So I was wondering about your adjective woven. Uh, I think this can go one of two ways, and I think your music sort of does both. So it can either mean uh, that you're creating a texture that sounds like it is woven together, or you can look at these three pieces, and as you said, they've sort of evolved from one to the next, and you can look at them as if they're you know separate threads, but they all belong to the same cloth. So when uh, when we're talking about your music as characteristically woven, how is it that you're perceiving both? Actually, that adjective? yeah, both. both. Um, it really it really started uh, as you know as an idea in the bassoon piece that then transferred itself into the orchestra piece in a big way, um, mm-hmm. and this this is the idea of um, it, we're, we're I'm going to get into mimicry. And um, mimicry, I I learned about mimicry while I was researching the third um, the third piece for the bassoon trio, which is about the Arizona red spotted purple butterfly that has evolved to change its appearance to appear like a butterfly in the area that is poisonous to birds. So this is a survival mm-hmm. mechanism for this butterfly because the the other butterfly poisonous not it won't kill a bird but it will make them very sick so they learn don't mm-hmm. touch this butterfly so over time this harmless butterfly you know changed its appearance to uh to look like this poisonous butterfly thus you know saving itself and that right. i thought that was a very powerful powerful idea you know you that you change yourself over time to to secure your you know i mean it's a life and death issue adapt to hostile environments yeah absolutely and then once i started researching mimicry i found that there are you know hundreds of species that employ this there's one there's one um uh there's an animal called the mimic octopus i mean that's what this thing does (laughs) is it 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 can change its appearance, you know, to look like a sea snake, to look like coral, to look like a, um, a what are those, the, the species of fish that's like horribly invasive in the Atlantic. Um, I want to say it's like something about a tiger or a leopard or a lion or I don't know. It's some sort of cat okay. in the name <laughs> that, I mean, that, that, you know, people people bought these really exotic fish and then they, you know, grew too big and they didn't want them anymore. So they just threw them in the Atlantic. And the thing is, this has oh. this fish has no natural predators. So it's just taking over and destroying ecosystems. Um, anyway, this octopus can look like that fish, you know, and it is it, just it's just incredibly it was just an incredibly interesting idea to me. And and at this period of time, I was very into, OK, I'm very interested in these ideas. How can I make them music? Mm-hmm. Because. Also at this time, I was kind of suffering from a lack of musical ideas. I'd kind of tapped out what I thought was interesting musically, like just music, oh, just okay. music for music's sake. And right. I was I was a little bit done, you know, with that. And I and in a big way, I still am. You know, I'm still yeah. when I'm when I'm writing pieces, I'm I'm very focused on the concept right now. So woven comes in. 
in the fact that I was trying to figure out different ways to employ mimicry musically. And one of those is, you know, you write a you write a melody and then you have several other lines that are mimicking the melody, but they're not it, it's not just a simple transposition, you know, it's not like planing. Mm-hmm. Each one has its own distinct um uh intervallic content, but they share the same contour. Oh, okay. So you get kind of you get kind of a weave. Um it's actually it's actually almost I think better to think about it as a vine. How vines kind of oh. wrap around a central host. Um Cool. And uh, so, so that was kind of the idea for Woven, and and I think I originally got this idea from listening to a uh, from listening to uh, Raypon by Boulez, and um, there was just something about that piece that really struck me, and how the especially the woodwind lines, and this is where these uh, vines or weaves or threads come in in the orchestra piece. It's almost entirely in the woodwinds because you have three, you have three of the same instrument basically. Mm -hmm. So you have three voices that can produce a contour and one single. uh, So one source and two mimics. And it was this, you know, it was listening to Boulez and, you know, I, I, I don't think I stole anything from Boulez. It was just like, <laughs> but I, I, oh, the other day I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast and uh, it was, it was Ben Folds. He, he was talking about the fact that, you know, when you're a musician or when you're a creative person and you're listening to music, you are actively engaged. Like your creative mind is actively engaged. And of course, it's like, you're not, you're not stealing anything but at the same time, when you're listening to something, you get all these ideas. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened with me with listening to this Boulez piece. You know, it really, it really fired something in in my brain, and and this idea has has shown up in in multiple pieces. And I really, I really like the idea. Um, so finding finding a way to to kind of blend the the concept of mimicry and this you know, more musical idea was something that was very interesting to me. Thank you. 
I know that you got the idea uh, while you were writing the third movement, but I think as, a, as far as texture goes, as I was listening to the Cactus Bee movement of the trio, I was getting a lot of the overlap between the two, between Warning Colors and, um, and Desert Miniatures uh, Insects because of the, you called it a hyper instrument, right? Yeah. Where you, where you weren't trying to create three separate bassoonists doing three separate functions, but it was one conglomerate of, of hyper sound. bassoon. One hyper bassoon. I love it. We should sell it. <laughs> 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 I would buy it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but what creating this one instrument and grand gestures kind of all moved together. And that was, that was, I think, Really well translated into your into the orchestral piece, uh, into warning colors. 
because the textures are so rich and there are very few moments where I don't feel like uh, there's enough for my brain to pay attention to, which I like a lot of activity to listen to many different things going on. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, you're, of course, you're speaking to someone who's a fanatic about fiber arts. So I sew and I knit and I do all of these things and you've said woven and I went, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wrong kind of, wo- wrong kind of woven, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> so yeah, talk about the piece in general. It's, it's beautiful and it's longer than I'm used to from you. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I was on some uh, some short pieces there for a while. Um, yeah, the well, the it was my dissertation work. Um, oh, okay. And we we had a limit. We could only write eight minutes, and expected to get played by the orchestra at mm. at Rice. Um, and I mean, you know, every single composer who comes out of Rice and who writes an orchestra piece, they are we all feel the same way. I mean, that orchestra is quite frankly, I think the best student orchestra in the entire country. I mean, I'm willing, I'm willing to go out there because I listened, I listened to them and I realize it is a student orchestra. So they have a lot more rehearsal time, but I listen to them and they rival many professional orchestras mm-hmm. in the, in the country, you know? So yeah. uh, we, all the composers that write for that orchestra are incredibly fortunate because we walk out of there with just amazing performances. And we know that mm-hmm. we can we can do things that honestly maybe we shouldn't be allowed to do because it might it might actually hurt our chances for getting the piece performed again. You know, because mm. we're writing for such for such uh for such amazing players. Um yeah. But anyway, um, we yes. So I I wrote it as a dissertation work. It was first premiered by the Shepherd School Symphony Orchestra, and Jerry Ho was conducting. And you know that that experience was incredible, wonderful. You know I can't say enough about them. They're amazing. Um, <laughs> and then, um, to be quite honest, I thought that was it. One perf- yeah. you know, one performance and done. I, I I was pretty sure that that's all that piece was going to get. And um, so I just, you know, I, I had this great recording of it. And, you know, when these when these orchestra call for scores and, you know, opportunities comes up, you know, you just send it and forget about it. And but I, I was I was really positive that nothing would ever come of it because it's a hard piece. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it it doesn't deal with with musical ideas the way the way big orchestra works should it deals with these like you know ideas of biology and mimicry and you know <laughs> insects and animals and you know it's it's kind of a weird piece so um in uh, december of this past year i got a call i i applied f- uh for a lot of opportunities and i got a call from uh bright sheng with uh intimacy of creativity and this, in the past, intimacy of creativity has uh, focused on chamber music, and uh, you know they bring in uh, musicians in Hong Kong. It's it's centered in Hong Kong at the um, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and they bring in musicians or they bring in guest artists. But this year, the guest artist was the Hong Kong Philharmonic. 
So that's amazing. Um, in the years, in past years, they've always had uh, six um, fellows. Um, this year, because it was orchestra, they just had three. So there were there were just three of us that were uh, were chosen for for this uh, opportunity, and um, the whole point of the intimacy of creativity is to revise. Um, and in years past, you go and you work with the musicians and you, there's a lot of feedback and you, you know, you go have a rehearsal and then you go back to your hotel and revise, 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 revise all night. And print. And print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was a little bit different because we did all, almost all the revisions up front. Oh, okay. Um, basically, Bright Sheng called me and said, you know, I want to consider you for this. Um but I want you to do a major revision first before I decide. So um, he he wanted me to focus on on the ending, and um, mm. so I I wrote about another minute of material to the end that extends it and you know gives it a huge climax for the ending because um, he he thought and at uh, and I agree that the original ending was kind of stunted, you know, it didn't quite, it didn't quite get there. And that has a lot to do with the fact that I had a time limit, right. you know, and it just, I needed, you know, another minute, another minute and a half to really get it to that place. And I just didn't have it. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's what I focused on. So I wrote the minute of music in a week and Ooh. yeah, <laughs> and it's fast music too. So <laughs> um, that's fun <laughs> yeah so i wrote that in a week and then um you know sent it to him and he called me back and said all right you're in now you have a lot of work to do <laughs> oh my god how long after your dissertation was was finished did you have to do that revision in a week because i mean when you're in the midst of the dissertation you're completely living in that sound world but if you leave it for a little while if i went back to a piece from you know two years ago it would take me a month to dig back around through uh, my organization charts and matrices and and just discover what I was thinking at the time. Yeah. And it's a very different place. So I finished at Rice in uh, spring of 2013, and I got the call in December of 2015. So I was two years out of, mm-hmm. from this piece. And um, it was. It was very difficult to kind of get back into that headspace, and especially because... This particular piece, I wasn't really dealing with motives. You know, there was no, there were no yeah. central ideas, like musical ideas that I could go back to. Everything was, you know, if there, if there are motives, they're all similar, you know, to each other, but they're not, they're not the same. And, you know, yeah. it, it ties into the... Because we're dealing with mimicry. Yeah, it, t- it right? ties into yeah. the concept that I was working with. So I really had to go back into the piece and look at it and really try to focus on, okay, w- like I had basically had to analyze the piece again to see what was there and what I could pull from it to, to make a huge statement at the end of the piece, because that's that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to end it with a very conclusive unison statement. It's like, okay, well, what is that? There is no motive in this piece. You know, it's just it it's it's about texture and contour and movement and the and the concept. Like it doesn't have an, a musical idea 
that I that mm-hmm. you're supposed to hang on to the whole time. It's right. more about like the feeling of it all. So that was what I tried to capture with that revision at the end. You know, I focused on the uh, mo- the motivic ideas from the violin solo in the in the middle um, in the middle section and some of the like bass. Uh, bass uh, melodies that had been going on in the fast section. It just tried to pull, okay, well, these these motives are similar, so let's try and pull something out of that. And So that was kind of how the revision process went. Hmm. So, yeah, then let's, uh, let's move on to homologic and electrically charged and just how wrong I was about uh, what I thought electrically charged was going to mean. Okay, I'm uh, I'm curious I, to what to what you think it means. So, when I saw electrically charged, uh, I I kind of truncated it. I think down to charged, you know, and to me that is something that's driven and energetic, and um, like almost obnoxiously <laughs> moving. And I don't mean moving in a way. That makes you cry. I mean, it just won't stop moving, you know? Uh, And that was, to me, what I was thinking. And then I sat down to listen to Homologic, and it was very different. It is moving. It keeps moving, but in a way that's, that's a little bit more of a statement of this is how life has been, and this is how life is going to be. There is constant charge, and that's unchanging Mm -hmm. and it made me very calm um (laughs) you know what actually uh uh, i i think i posted that uh i have a video of it from a performance that some of my colleagues did in shanghai and i posted the video and the only comments i got which i mean why would i should have like just disabled the comments like why do you need a comment on on an avant-garde piece of music (laughs) on youtube but anyway right someone (laughs) A clarinetist found this video and it was like, I don't know, man, this basically put me to sleep. I don't think these nature ideas are very good. And I, you know, I, I didn't comment back, but I had to see who this person was. And he's putting out like, he's a clarinetist and he puts out like Christmas songs on the clarinet. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that makes sense that you would think that. Okay. I, I understand. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so you're not the first person who was put to sleep. No, I, I was in no way put to sleep. Absolutely none. I thought it was beautiful, but it just shifted my perspective when I see charged. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am an extremely competitive person. I use the word driven on a weekly basis and I'm not talking about it from a, um, a <laughs> from a standpoint of of you know marketing or anything like that i'm talking about like me myself i am driven Mm -hmm. and so when i see charged i loop it right in i throw it right in the same basket as driven and so i was just expecting a driving force and uh and it was just it wasn't it was peaceful and wonderful and uh and so i wondered how you came to this idea of electrically charged for your music and what it specifically means to you, because obviously my connotation <laughs> was off. <laughs> um, electrically charged uh, for me, it does have some of that connotation of 
um, just being a driving force, you know, constantly pushing. Um, and I and I think the the orchestra piece, you know, certainly displays that the fire ant movement of the the miniatures displays <laughs> that. But in in a very you know practical way, it's just that I write electronic music, you know. So it, electronics have become a very big part of my life and a big part of the way I think about music. Yes. So uh, who did who did you write it for? Um, or is it a piece that just kind of you needed to write and you got some uh, some friends to perform? Was it? It was. It was a piece that. I kind of wrote because I needed a piece on a concert. Um, <laughs> if that, <laughs> it sounds no, I love it that. It sounds That's really bad. Perfect. But but literally, like we had a new music concert coming up, and a lot of my pieces um, at that time in the development of our of our school, you know, we just didn't have the faculty that or the right combination of faculty to make a lot of my pieces work. Um, and I really, you know, I, I wanted a, uh, I wanted a piece on this particular new music concert. And um, so I just decided to bump this idea that I had had up. And um, okay, so uh, our flute professor, Clara Novakova, um, she's, she's a huge new music player. Um, she's originally from the Czech Republic, but has played with pretty much all the major new music ensembles in Europe. Um, so she was, she was encouraging me like, you know, maybe you should do something with, uh, with like Chinese poetry or Chinese mm -hmm. melodies or, or something like that. And this is going to be very um, undiplomatic, but I had no interest in that whatsoever. Um, I'm not, I, I actually have, and this is just a personal thing because a lot of composers can get around this very easily and and they and and they're okay with it but for me i don't like the idea of appropriating a culture that is not my own i think that's completely legit and i don't i don't see any reason why that's that's something that is politically charged or not I, I mean that's there's a whole pop culture problem going on with that right now as well right I mean, people appropriating the wrong amount of of another culture right and, um, and exactly so and almost exploiting it right you know so I, I i didn't want to be on that side of it and but you know i still it doesn't it doesn't really make sense for me to be in China and learn nothing about the the culture or the music or anything like that. But it was just like I had to find a way for myself to mm -hmm. to get into to get into it. And I I actually came at that through um, something that I think was kind of rattling around in my brain during the during the doctorate. Um, we I took a post-tonal prolongation uh course and we were reading um we were reading matthew santa who um has uh, has this theory mod trans you know okay you know you base essentially what you do is you take a collection like for instance uh 014 or yeah let's do 014 so 014 <laughs> in a complete in the complete chromatic also fits to into octatonic, right? Mm -hmm. And in the octatonic scale, 
it would the scale steps that you'd be uh, hitting on with 0, 1, 4 would be 1, 2, and 4. Scale steps. Mm-hmm. So you take that 1, 2, 4, and then you apply it to all the different scales you can think of. Okay. So in a in a major in a major scale would be like if we're just talking about C in a major scale would be C D F in a pentatonic scale it would be C D G you know and you right. can you can just find uh, so so many different different scales and then you have a collection of motives that have the same um, the same origin but they all sound different. Okay, that makes sense. So. I like I like that idea a lot actually because again the 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 whole notion of taking a set and then you know transposing it inverting it and you know playing around with it so so many different ways is not very interesting to me um it just it it seems very boring it seems like a lot of work and it seems like at the end of the day you're going to get the same sound over and over and over and over and over again you know, unless you're working with a lot of different sets. And then at that point, it becomes, well, man, you're just pushing notes around the page. Like it, I, I mean, I, I wrote like this for, for a, a good, a good portion of my life, but eventually I, I just got so bored with the process. Right. And in all of these pieces, the process was what was driving the piece, you know, like with, uh, with the miniatures, it was about the the concept of the insects. With the you know with the orchestra piece, it again it was with the concept of mimicry, and it was about learning. It was learning about something other than music that I then translated into music. So so taking that Matthew Santa idea, um, the mod trans idea, and I it it actually. That idea can work very well with Chinese music because traditional Chinese music is not notated on a staff. It's notated in numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's just, you know, numbers of the diatonic scale. or And, and it, m- the majority of it is, um, is pentatonic, but it's still, mm-hmm. it still resides within a diatonic scale, a seven-note scale. So the, when you see the music... It's just a string. It's it's a row of numbers. That was very interesting to me because I didn't have to deal with the the notes. It was this abstract thing. You could put it in any key for, and they do, you know. Mm-hmm. So taking that set of numbers and then applying it to a different scale. That was something that was that was interesting to me and directly related to that Matthew Santa idea. The other the other thing about this piece is that it relates it pretty heavily relates to the piece I wrote directly before it, which was At Water's Edge for violin and percussion. Mm-hmm. And with that piece, the I the whole idea of creating a synthetic scale in which to work um, came from Joel Hoffman who I had a couple lessons with at the Charlotte New Music Festival when I was there in the summer of 2014. And I had a really great experience at that at that festival, but I didn't apply to it to have a great compositional experience. I applied to it because Joel Hoffman was going to be there and he teaches in China regularly. 
and he's an American. Mm. So I wanted to talk to him about teaching in China. And also I wanted mm. to write for Load Bang, which is the um, ensemble from New York. Baritone, uh, bass clarinet, trumpet, trombone, and they regularly work with electronics. Weird ensemble. Yeah. I, I know them very well. Uh, the trombone player was in uh, the class above me as an undergraduate nice. here at Fredonia. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so actually, he, he's uh, his one of his most memorable non-musical skills is he can uh, scale the brick walls of uh, the oldest part of our building and get in second floor windows of the studios <laughs> up there. That is awesome. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so I wanted to write for them. I wanted to have a lesson with Jill Hoffman. Um, and I expressed to, uh, to Joel that I was just feeling in a rut, you know, with, with my music at the time and I needed something new. And he's like, well, you know, this is something that I do take it or leave it, but it might be the thing that gets you out of this rut, you know? And he talked about the whole idea of creating a scale that does not repeat at the octave, but it repeats at a different Mm -hmm. interval like a minor seventh or a major ninth or, or, or whatever. And so I decided with Atwater's Edge to go ahead with that and uh, created several different scales. So the only piece or the only notes you hear in the piece belong to those scales that span mm-hmm. the entire range of the violin or the percussion instruments that I was using. To get the melodic material, I uh, recorded bird calls in Sujo. And I just, I wasn't interested in the notes of the birds, but the contour. And with that mm. contour, I just put, I just gave them numbers relative to a seven note scale and then put those numbers on the, on my synthetic scale at different points. So a number pattern like one, two, four will give you very different sounds depending on where you put it on the scale. And that idea okay. directly transferred into homologic with using Chinese um, Chinese uh, ditsa melodies. Ditsa is a bamboo flute. Um, these melodies and taking that notation, which was just numbers, and then applying those numbers onto a part of the scale where it sounded good, you know. And mm-hmm. it was because I didn't want to appropriate the 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 sound you know that right. is so that is so culturally tied into china i didn't want that but i wanted the backbone you know well because you do i mean you live there so it, it's impossible for you to not absorb some information but yeah i completely understand that you don't want to you don't want to take something that you don't feel like belongs to you right and that, and that's you wanna, just not you want to take what what you've learned from your experience is there and translate it into your own language. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really beautiful thing about that piece. It's very cool. Thank you. So yeah. um, so that, that idea is where the title comes from, is that homology is uh, a study uh, of um, organisms. It's about the change over time. And it's about going back to a single organism and then seeing how different organisms split from that one organism genetically. Because mm. um, there's, there's a really cool um, comparison chart about like the bones in the, the human arm and wrist. Uh, 
If you look mm-hmm. at the bones in the human arm and wrist and then compare it to a dog, a bird, and a whale, we all have those bones. Mm-hmm. You know, so they it's it's about modification, um, descent with modification from cool. from that one single species. So in my case, musically, the single species that uh, was the Chinese melody that getting put onto the invented scale of the clarinet or the invented scale of the bass flute, you get very different sounds, but they came from the same source.
So you have told us a little bit about how you originally became dedicated to the field of music, but why don't you why don't you give us your origin story now that it's it's up your for your podcast here? <laughs> so, um, I actually started. I mean, compared to a lot of musicians, I started late. You know, I didn't pick up an instrument until I was fourteen, and I didn't uh, join like a school ensemble until 16 and but it all happened very quickly for me um my first instrument is a guitar and I was in a band a rock band you know singing and playing guitar (laughs) in high school and that uh that led me because the uh, you know a couple other members of the band they were in the concert band at school so they were like, oh, you should join. Yeah, we, we're in the jazz band and everything. You should just, be, you know, you should play guitar in the jazz band. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I have no idea how to play jazz chords. And like, it was just, <laughs> it was a bad idea from the beginning. But I, to be in the jazz band, you had to be in the, the sit down concert band. So I joined and the director was like, well, you know, what do you think you could do? I have no idea. He's like, go play a drum. <laughs> And he he had like just just horrible disdain for for drummers, you know, percussionists. Oh no! So I I started off kind of on the wrong foot with him, but um, so I started learning percussion, and the that was sophomore year. And the next year, I picked up the double bass so I could be in the orchestra. And um, I was at the time, you know, I had been writing songs for the band, you know, just like folk songs or pop songs or rock Mm -hmm. songs, whatever you want to call them. Um, I'd been writing songs, but I had also kind of started, you know, messing around with writing, uh, writing more serious music or maybe not more serious, but like uh, concert music, I guess. Um, right. And I had I had picked I started taking piano lessons and, you know, it was all heading towards that. And it was just a hobby. And then uh, senior year of high school, my uh, my band director was also the orchestra director. He did he did both jobs. He could play the clarinet and the viola and the violin. Awesome. Um, well, in my senior year, he died. And um, oh my god. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty shocking because he was only in his fifties, and that was actually a kind of a first for me because I, I had I had made it 18 years without having a person that was very close to me die mm-hmm. and um, you know I went to went to his funeral and that night I went home and I started to write a piece for a combined concert band and orchestra so basically orchestra with euphoniums and saxophones um <laughs> And that piece came very quickly, and we we had a memorial concert for him, and uh, we we performed it. And at the time, I was studying uh, percussion with the CEO of the Toledo Symphony, Bob Bell, at the time, and mm-hmm. um, he he came to see it, and he brought uh, Merwin Sue um, to to come to see the concert. And their artistic administrator, yeah, right? yeah. And after that, the next year of the Toledo Symphony was the 60th anniversary year 
and they decided like I was the youngest, but they asked me as one of the composers to compose a 60 measure fanfare for the and among the other, you know, Marilyn Shrewd was uh, was also asked and, um, you know, other local local composers. But to me, this was a this was a huge thing. And this kind of in a way legitimized this whole idea that, oh, I this doesn't just have to be a hobby. You know, this could right. this could be a real thing. And um, so during the undergrad at Bowling Green, I was a I was a percussionist um, studying with Roger Shoup. And um, and I was still I was writing a lot. And Roger really, really encouraged me, you know, to to write and perform my pieces, even, you know, even though I was not taking composition lessons like he mm-hmm. he did what he could as as a percussionist and and as a percussionist who has written some of has written some music himself um so he he encouraged that and um was was pretty instrumental in in making me see that i don't just have to be a band director and i know that sounds very Mm -hmm. dismissive but um you know like people like the people that do that for a living the band directors the orchestra directors you know that that is their life and they have a passion for it I, and they're brilliant and they're built yes, for it. Yes, they are. And, and I just wasn't. Yeah. You know? I agree. A similar so, story. So he he was he was very um very encouraging. You know, he helped me record some pieces. Like he I, I just can't say enough about Roger. Um and uh then, you know, I applied for for a masters at uh several places, rejected from almost all of them. Um, but Dan Asia in Arizona, he called me and, um, I was like driving back from my student teaching out in Clyde, um, Clyde, Ohio, like an hour and 15 minute. I, I think I had the worst, um, (laughs) the worst drive out of anyone doing student teaching that year. Oh no. Um, but he called me on the drive and I talked to him basically when I left the school all the way till I got back to BG. And I, you know, he I think he wasn't sure about me and I kind of talked my way into a master's degree. Um, so, you know, all of, all of these moments, like again, with my, you know, what I was saying about my music being like, I, I see the thread in each piece and Mm -hmm. all of, all of these moments leading up to, to now, like I, like uh, there's a very clear thread to me to, how and why I decided to become a musician. You know, all of these, all of these amazing people in my life that were encouraging, you know, even, even my wife's mother, um, which (laughs) you don't, you don't typically think of uh, your mother-in-law as being someone who's especially like, oh my God, you're marrying a drummer (laughs) and a guitarist. Ugh. But, and even worse, a composer. Oh, geez. (laughs) But, my my mother-in-law at a time when you know when the idea of getting a doctorate was not the most popular idea in the household because it meant delaying our lives she was right. she was very supportive of me um that's awesome to to do this and and now that it's all done and i have a job and we have two beautiful children <laughs> you know it seems like it all just worked out 
But right, uh, don't you wish you you could see where that thread was going when it started? You can see how you got there now, and it turns around and it's beautiful. But uh, all of those nerve wracking moments in between um, are, <laughs> are moments where you're like, I wish I could just see that much farther ahead to know it's gonna be okay. It's fantastic you had a supportive mother-in-law right. you and i both lucked out in that way yeah. <laughs> so i mean all all of these things were leading me there but you know looking back on it now i don't think there was anything else i would have done you know um i it, it's it's kind of strange because a lot of the conversation today has been about you know science and biology and you know these mm-hmm. other things but i'm coming to these things with composer glasses on you know i'm i'm very interested in them but i would not be a good scientist i would i would not be a good any of these things i there there was just nothing else i i wanted to do i wanted i wanted to be a musician since i first picked up the guitar and it has worked out (laughs) i mean that seems very simple to say but it um you know, again, a lot of people uh, supporting this decision when I'm, you know, I'm the only only musician in my family. I'm the only person with a doctorate in my family. I like I, I did not come from a musical upbringing at all, mm-hmm. but I had people surrounding me that were supportive of this idea that being a musician for the rest of your life is something that is not only possible, but should be pursued. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.